Hello and welcome to the Cyphers Theatre Podcast. This is a podcast for university students and recent graduates who are interested in pursuing a career in theatre. I'm Marcus Baisley, co-founder and one of the co-artistic directors of Cyphers. And I'm Will Hollyhead, uh, one of the other co-artistic directors of Cyphers. And this week we had the pleasure of having a nice chat with Kat Roby, who's a theatre director. She's currently the deputy artistic director of the German Street Theatre. Alongside that, does a lot of freelance work and is also associate director of Ransack Theatre and Metamorph Theatre. She studied BA Drama and Theatre Arts at Goldsmiths before then training on the MFA in Theatre Directing at Birkbeck and we had a great chat with her chatting about her whole journey from university days all the way through to where she is now the ups downs challenges and bits of advice that have come out with that and hope you enjoy having a listen to it hello Kat thanks for joining us hello it's a pleasure how are you, first of all, in these weird and wonderful times that we find ourselves living in? Well, I mean, it's a loaded question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but but in the grand scheme of things, yes, very well, very well. Plodding along. Good, good. What have you been up to theatrically, if anything at all? Uh, so I have actually been quite lucky, and I'm very aware of that, because I have um, obviously a part-time job at German Street Theatre, so just spending the time keeping the theatre alive through these dark times um, has been a big part of my time. Um, but also releasing projects with them. We've been doing an autumn season, well, even a summer season of online work. So yeah, busy creating projects, lots of online stuff, but also moving now to, we can actually get into the theatre now, which is really exciting. Um, and then we'll, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll be able to be doing some, um, uh, some streams so performance on the stage but then they'll be streamed on digital theatre and things like that so yeah been good and then I was able to do a freelance job in a park bits and pieces so um yeah I'm feeling I'm feeling quite lucky and just working hard to keep that going really at the moment fantastic embracing the new normal (laughs) yeah embracing the new normal absolutely fantastic well then I suppose to wind the clock back from the the present of now and the present we left behind in in March to um maybe when you're around 16 17 um because as you know this podcast is for people who are either at university or have graduated university thinking they want to pursue some kind of career in theatre um but you know it's not as simple as that so hopefully to give them a bit of insight into people who've been in the same shoes as them and have 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 made that journey themselves Mm. so I suppose the first question is that when you went to Goldsmiths you obviously studied drama and theatre so was that coincidental in the career that you're now pursuing or did you have a pretty firm idea in your mind when applying to that that you were doing that because you wanted to work in theatre um, so I thought, so so actually going to Goldsmiths, I took two years between school and going to university um, and they weren't gap years, like they're the normal kind of thought of, that I worked. I, I moved to London and I just worked doing front of house and things like that. And the reason being, up until that point, I thought I'd want to be an actor. So I'd done the NT Shell connections through school and all of that. Um, I joined the Young Vic Young Company. Um, this was all about 15 years ago now. And then... Um, from that, I had my first flavour of that there was even such a thing as a director. I didn't know, 
because at school you just think it's a teacher I think most of the time yeah definitely. Um, you know it's like you can either be an actor yeah you can either be an actor you kind of know there's a writer because there are plays so you're like okay well you could be a writer you could be an actor or you can be a teacher slash director I thought that was always the same thing um and that was nothing I had a brilliant um school school theatre department it wasn't anything to do with that it was just my impression of school my impression of what drama was um, so I thought I wanted to be an actor. So I took two years out because I was trying to get into drama school. That was the primary aim at that point. Uh. Um, and I did in my in my first year completely unsuccessful, like like many many people. And then in my second uh, approach, I got shortlisted for two schools, which I. I'm surprised in a way I didn't then carry on and keep trying to be an actor. But basically, what happened was. I happened to be back at the Young Vic in the Young Company and a brilliant director called Matthew Dunster had been running a project for us and I just, he suddenly sort of took me aside and said, have you thought about directing? And I thought, well, no, it's sort of a teaching job. I don't really, I mean, obviously at that point I knew it didn't, wasn't because I'd met him, but um, yes, he sort of said, just, just think about it. Just have a think, just have a look. And so my next stage was, well, I'm not getting into drama school and I was also becoming very aware as you do sort of at that age there are many people better I was finally realizing that there were many better actors than me and actually it may not be the path I should go down um so I so uh but I knew I wanted to be in theatre and I and I didn't really know what to do so I decided at the time Goldsmiths was a brilliant course um and decided to go there and and you could learn everything there from directing to designing to dramaturg to avant-garde to text so um yeah, so that's why I decided to go to Goldsmiths in the end. Um, and then that did shape my future career from there. It sounds like you were kind of exploring all of the possibilities there rather than going, I want to be a director, therefore this is the next step in that very specific path. Is that accurate? Yes, yeah. I think there was also another factor, which was I was the last year that could have gone to university for the lower fees if I went then. So I, a part of me was also still thinking behind my parents' back, oh, I'm still going to be an actor. I'm going to go to university. And if I don't get in for a couple of years, I'll keep applying on the side. And if I get in, then I'll leave. But, but at least I'm getting the degree on the lower fees. <laughs> so I was being a bit savvy. I, th- I thought I was being savvy. But what actually happened was at the end of the first year, I finally, there was just a module on directing and you could have a go. And I decided to do that. And so I, this is mad. I look back on this now. I decided to abridge Equus by Peter Schaffer into a half hour version um, with wow. minimal design, with three actors, <laughs> and um, did something very, very, I don't think I've ever done anything so bold since. Um, so yeah, so I did that and uh, it actually went, I suddenly realised A, I have a dramaturgical brain, um, and I also realised that looking at the whole was much more the whole of a play, the arc of all of the characters, the arc of all of the story, um, sat much easier with me than when you're an actor and you're focusing on your one sole character and how to sort of feed that into working with the rest of the company. Um, so suddenly I went, oh, this feels right. It's like the glove fits. And I, and I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't know, I didn't know how you could forge a path as a director, because I'm sure we'll get onto this, but there is no one way. Um, <laughs> mm. 
So I, I just kept going and I didn't actually like, I didn't enjoy myself at Goldsmiths very much. I found it was way too avant-garde. That was something else I learned. I really liked text and plays and good stories. And um, that's why therefore Equus fitted me, but I could choose that. But in the second year, it became very avant-garde and I nearly left. I did nearly leave. I, it wasn't the university that sort of made me who I am in a way, although perhaps it did because I learned I didn't like those things. Um, and then it was it. So second year, I nearly left. I stuck it out because of the fees thing and realised I didn't want to be, go to drama school anymore. So I was like, right, just get the degree. Um, and I went to, uh, I got into third year and there was an excellent tutor who at the time was also teaching the foundation course at RADA. So the acting foundation course at RADA. And he was coming into Goldsmiths and running um, the third year you could sort of specialise, a bit like the American system, which was brilliant. That was the third year I suddenly really enjoyed it because you could sort of choose what you wanted to do. And so I chose to direct new writing. So direct, and, and then other students could choose to write and other students could choose to be an actor or whatever. You could specialise. And that was his course and it was brilliant for that. Um, and he really encouraged me and everything was sort of just leading the way. And by the end of the third year, I did very well at university because I specialised in that topic. Um, and I loved it. And I, and most of my advice with all of this is follow your heart like and your head. Like, make sure you're listening to both. But really, let, I know head gets really overwhelming, but at university, I just went, no, this fits. This is right. This is right. My heart was saying this was right. And therefore, the passion, I think, made me do well, if you see what I mean. Um, so in the third year, so, and then at the very end of Goldsmiths, uh, he actually asked me to then go and assist him on a new writing night at the Soho Theatre. So from Goldsmiths, he kind of gave me my first job. Um, as a sort of apprentice position. And that was amazing. So I got to go to the main house at the Soho Theatre as soon as I finished Goldsmiths and be an assistant director, which I didn't know was a job. Um, so, yeah. Wow. So, and yeah. That, that was the start. So I, I, I think... So Matthew Dunster and And his name was Andrew Tibbarsh. They were two men who were brilliant at planting a seed um, that I didn't know was there. And, um, yeah, I, I publicly thank them because, you know, they, are, they were fantastic at helping me with that. So it's interesting that you you ended up doing a course that you didn't actually necessarily, for large parts of you, didn't actually necessarily enjoy it, but it no. did. It does seem to have really set that you on that path, and it, it helped you find what it is you really wanted to do, what aspect of theatre. Because that's something we talked about a lot with this podcast and and the work with Cyphers Create generally is. Mm. I think you know most of us go well. I want to be an actor because that's the thing you see. And actually, there's a big, there's a whole process of self-questioning that goes on of going, wait a minute, what, what part of theatre do I fit into? Um, yes. Yeah, so it sounds like this yes. was part of that process for you. Yes, so university was very, it was brilliant for helping me realise who I was, I suppose, in that sense, or who I definitely wasn't. Like, <laughs> I think it did that more yeah. because I didn't, there was yeah. so much I didn't like. And actually, that's more useful because actually... I think I learned who I was faster by really learning what I didn't like than if I'd suddenly loved everything and life was going to be brilliant. Actually, I was like, no, I have to, I have to kind of work out, forge my own path and work out what sort of theatre I want to make. So it made me actually read further. It also made me, and this was a big stepping stone, with a couple of very good friends who I'm still absolutely brilliant friends with and they're still um, actors now, uh, in the middle of university in second year, we all nearly left because we all hated it. They wanted to go to drama school. I just didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to be there. And we all enjoyed, as I said, very good storytelling and good plays um, rather than the strange avant-garde stuff. Um, and so 
we set up a theatre company and at the time, I don't know how easy it is now, but we just stuck stuff on. We just created work, found plays we liked, got ourselves together, got other people who were sort of our age or not necessarily at the university, just through our networks um, and threw shows on all across the fringe. I mean, I, I did so, wow. so many plays. Um, I think in my time at university, I, as well as trying to complete university, I in two years at uni probably did four or five plays on the fringe um full runs three four week wow. runs um and in a way I, I well I wouldn't have done well I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't loved the core in a way that incredible stepping stone out into the real world I pushed myself to do it, it was because I didn't like the university um syllabus I suppose mm. so it's almost like uh where a lot of people who like like myself and Will, who did uh, history and English respectively, um, we might have been doing kind of extracurricular drama. Mm. For you, that that was almost your equivalent. Um, was right. I'm just gonna I'm gonna get away from my my like the the confines of my course, and I'm just gonna get out into the London fringe and make some stuff. And which yeah, actually sounds definitely. like that more, yeah. more useful than anything you could yeah. possibly have done. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, it's it was almost like. Um, I was talking to an older director today who I'm working with at the moment, and he was like, oh, the rep system, you know, that's how we trained. We just did show after show after show. You know, he did 50 shows in two years in the rep system. And we don't have that anymore, which is a tragedy, I think, especially for young actors and directors, because it's your, it's your practice. It's, it's your, you can try everything. You can do everything. You can do plays that would never suit you, that plays that you never knew would suit you. Um, and in the equivalent of that, was almost I think what I did which was just get your mates together and do something even if it's in your living room just you're all feeling stifled by by the syllabus or whatever else or the world or the world now I mean as another equivalent I mean if I was doing if I was back the age now I'm sure I'd be doing the same in fact I still am get on zoom with your mates read a play talk about a play I suppose that was sort of the equivalent in my head to maybe what rep could have been like (laughs) you know where you could just do show, 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 and um, and learn. You learn so much, not only about directing, but about the real theatre world and having to manage money because you're actually putting it in front of the public. Um, so, yeah, brilliant experience, that. Yeah, totally. I suppose what you captured there was the spirit of rep, and I think that's probably quite a good lesson for all of us, is that just because you can't do things by the letter of the past activity doesn't mean you can't retain that spirit of it and mm. the kind of do the 2020 equivalent or the 2015 equivalent of rep um so yeah i think that's a good a good lesson for everyone to take so mm. obviously off the back of that eventually you ended up going to birkbeck to do the theater directing mfa there so can you tell us a bit about the kind of journey from leaving Goldsmiths into deciding that you wanted to train further and then deciding that Birkbeck was the place to do it? So after Goldsmiths, I really threw myself. I followed on with the theatre company that we'd set up um, and I also set up another company. So that one sort of dissolved after university just because we were all moving on. Um, and then I set up another one. Some of those people were then involved in this new one, but I'd met new artists to collaborate with in the outside world as well. So I created another company with somebody jointly. Um, and we did, so, again, threw ourselves into, we did four shows a year for 
three years. Um, so that's that covered my gap, if you like, the three years between university at Goldsmiths and then the, the postgraduate um, at Birkbeck. And what happened in that was we had, an inc- again, the shows got better. The the actors we were working with became more experienced obviously as you go on that's just naturally what happens we all got better we we were doing um working getting much more used to working with bigger buildings i mean not we're still on the fringe so it's not like <laughs> it's not like we're working at the national but as as you learn there are different buildings that that well they all cost different amounts of money they all have different mm. bureaucratic rules so we were sort of learning how all of that le- that worked so for three years that was my focus um and it was great i had a fantastic experience and time and I was in my early mid-twenties so it felt exactly what I should be doing and then very honestly I just hit the age of roughly 26 and uh, that company had slightly um, pulled back because we'd oh that was it my co- my co-director had to move back to um, well move to Europe move back to Europe briefly so because of that, everything went on hold. And then I very, very quickly had a sort of realisation of I can't carry on like this because I, I can't afford to live. That was very simply what it was. <laughs> you could just can't live on fringe money. And I also got to the point where I was like, I'm 26. I don't want to work at a bar anymore on the side. I just can't do this. Um, not that I was old or anything. I just reached a point. And, and so I went through quite a long period of not working. I couldn't get any freelance work. And I wasn't making anything with the company because the company was sort of a part at that point. Um... And I was just working in bars and offices, temping, which is fine. That's what needs to pay your rent. But I was like, I can't. What am I going to do? So then the next thing was um, I was lucky enough to meet Lindsay Turner, who's an extraordinary director, um, did Posh in the West End. And she's, you know, obviously at the National Hours Associate and things. And she's amazing. And she... She just happened, she's very, she's an ex-Burt Becker. So she was back in the early days of Burt Beck. She trained there. And it was through a friend of mine. He said, I just think you need, to, I, was, I was saying, I'm going to leave the industry. I can't do this. I, I can't, I literally can't do this. I don't have the money. I don't have the drive. I didn't know what was going on. So he said, let me put you in touch with her. I was in touch with her. She was amazing. She mentored me and she said, please think about going to Burt Beck. And at the time I thought, oh my God, that's a lot of money, which I don't have. Um, how am I going to do that? Uh, anyway, I then had a very good conversation with Rob Swain, who runs the Burt Beck course, and he said, do apply, do try, and we can talk about how you might, you know, if you got in, how you might fund yourself. Um, and I really, the reason being, and basically I then, and the reason Burt Beck was the most attractive thing was I, I've always, I mean, arguably it's the best director training in England. And the reason being is you get two years and the second year is you're actually working in the industry in theatres with some incredibly high up directors and big companies and actors you've never had the chance to meet before. And you're, you're just in the environment. So it's more like an apprenticeship. So that's in a way why arguably it's one of the best. Um, so, yeah, I got I got to the point and I basically I went to the RADA open day. They actually closed the directing course that year. So and I went to look at the directing course at the time and I thought that's not for me. I don't fancy that. And I went round and round and round and I just got to... Birkbeck's the one it's the only one that fits and I said to myself if I don't get in I'm giving up wow <laughs> that was it <laughs> um and it was that blunt because I just didn't know how I could financially survive I was I was really really I just didn't know how I didn't know what I would do but I I knew I couldn't financially survive then the next question came was great I can't financially survive and now I need to pay however much the fees are <laughs> to get to go to this course um luckily enough again this is stopped and this is where it gets really 
I'm just really sad about it all at the moment. There used to be such a thing back at the time. It was only 2014. It wasn't that long ago. But there were things called career development loans. Mm. And I, I, I think... I think something, there's postgraduate loans now. I think you can get student loans that are postgraduate loans now, whereas at the time you had to get a bank loan. It was called a career development loan. So I got that. Of course, they're high interest rates. So you just have to, if you want to do it, you just have to suck up the fees. But right, I, I thought, well, at least I can do it and then I have to pay it back later in life. Um, so yeah, got one of those. I worked full time during the course, um, even what, when what I went you, to Manchester. What were you doing out of interesting? Uh, what, what sort of work were you doing? So in the first year, because you're in London and you're 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 basically at Birkbeck, which is is uh, is where where is it? Goode Street area, Tottenham Court yeah. Road. So it's right in the centre of town. Um, I was temping. I would just do two days a week in an office, and then you'd be in class three days a week. The rest of that, and then at the weekends, I at that point I was sort of hustling about working with helping being workshop assistants to friends of mine who are fight directors and all sorts of other things that work in the industry who just went oh yeah I can get you some money to be an assistant on the weekends and things like that um so I sort of just did that routine for a year and then when I went to Manchester I didn't work for the first bit and was broke and I got to the point where I said to Walter who ran home at the time in Manchester I, I'm really struggling. I can't, I don't know if I can afford this anymore. And he very kindly said, well, um, I'll pay you. I'll sort of create a literary position in the theatre. And I'll, I'll pay, well, the theatre will pay you to be a literary, a reader, basically. So I would read all the scripts that came in and do script reports. Um, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was my food money for the week. And that, and that got me through, really. I think that's really interesting because I think we're, as an industry, and I think probably as a, culture we're really really bad at talking about money but it actually it seems like the moments where you just sort of went hands up this is too much I or I can't afford this people were really happy to do their best to help and I think that's a really good lesson really really helpful yeah and actually that's something I'm very um of all my friends not not necessarily all my RT friends but my friends who have what I call normal jobs I'll be the one who will sit down at dinner and I'll go, oh my God, it's costing me this much to do this and I've got this much in my bank account. And they're, they're looking baffled because they don't talk about <laughs> money ever. Um, yeah. And I go, and I'm like, no, I'm going to tell you because if you're going to suddenly say, let's buy a bottle of Prosecco in the pub, I'm going to say no. <laughs> 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 so, um, you know, I, I, think, I, think it, I think because people helped me, it made me unashamed, to be honest. And actually, because actually, whenever I have been honest, uh, people have, sort of pointed out a path that could be possible um i agree i think in england we don't we don't acknowledge especially in the arts it's incredibly difficult mm. we don't we don't talk about it enough yeah absolutely yeah. and and the, and the thing the struggle of doing all the stuff alongside and balancing everything it's really important that we have that open discussion and people recognize that yeah that's that is the life and and mm. uh, let's talk about it um yeah so that's great yeah, yeah. so that's kind of looking at the the second year and the challenges of that but briefly jumping back to the first year at Birkbeck which as I understand it is the more kind of training year of the two of you were what was that like what did you get out of that I mean it's incredible the way that course is structured is so brilliant because what it does every, every module and this is what I loved about it when I was looking up as well when I was looking to go there every single module you do is called the director and the something. And that something will be 
the name of every collaborator you could possibly have. <laughs> so the director and the writer, the director and the designer, the director and the dramaturg, you know, the director and the industry, even including the direct, like th- that would include tax returns. I know that sounds so boring, but no one is taught that. You literally yeah. are taught how to run yourself as a business. Um, so it was it was amazing for that. You 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 lit and then the terrifying way that they did exams, which is the best training ever for directors, but terrifying, is you would have to stand up at the end of all these huge modules, enormous amount of work, um, and your main portion of what your marks on is how you can stand in a horseshoe of people with no notes or minimal notes and pitch, just pitch. That doesn't necessarily mean pitch a show. It had to be fifteen minutes minimum. Um, and everyone's around you and you have all these panel of massive director judges that will come in. You've got all of your cohort as well, your class, and you have to stand up and, and talk passionately and intelligently and convincingly about whatever you're talking about, which frankly is the key to, wow. <laughs> key to getting jobs. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, because you can be the best director in the world, but if you can't talk about a project, you're not going to ever get books. Um, so, yeah, the, the training, that was amazing, terrifying hugely some of some of you know and and just like any oral examination some you just because the mood you're in you would massively fail on one that day because it's just hard isn't it you're not always in the mood to stand up and talk 15 minutes no matter how much work you've done and some days you're in the right mood um which also was a good learning curve about make sure you talk to people when you're as a director when you are in the right frame of mind Mm -hmm. um which is actually quite a useful one i think were there any kind of key point since we're on pitching were there any kind of I don't know have you got any key kind of points that stand out about advice for pitching your work or yourself oh yes all the errors I made um <laughs> so I'll get so my notebook I, out yeah I I uh, I have I'm lucky in that I have a very good memory I have a very good short-term memory terrible long-term memory so what that means is I can absorb I can write something and it will go in quite not photographic but I can learn it pretty damn fast almost like a script so I would my very first exams I would basically write a 15 minute monologue and learn it didn't do very well in those because you're not talking passionately or from the heart you're trying to remember and reach for something you wrote before you're not reacting to the eyes in the room um, and that's the main thing, meeting people's eyes and actually talking to them and, and, and absorb. It's hard. I mean, it's, mm. it's hard because you're terrified, but you need to, are they with me? Are they not with me? Have I lost them? You know, and they're not going to interrupt you. They're just going to listen until the end and then they'll ask questions. Um, so that would be my big one. Don't write a monologue and learn it unless you're the world's best actor. And actually there was somebody on the course who was a brilliant actor who had trained at Drama Centre and had a very good career previous to becoming a director and yeah she did the same she would learn it but she was brilliant you thought it was absolutely real that's because she was an actor right brilliant at it and she did so well with all and that worked for her so it can work obviously but depending depending on who you are um the thing that i found worked best for me um and generally i think worked best for most people who weren't natural or working actors or whatever um was you have 15 minutes plan it unbelievably well but don't learn any of it apart from a few bullet points that you can have on a little card if you want. Um, and those bullet points then talk around the bullet points because you'll know if you've done the work, you'll know the topic like the back of your hand. So you sort of you're improvising, but you're improvising around an absolute knowledge or an absolute passion that you've already prepared. But you're not you're not you're not stuck in some words in your head. that You're going to say the wrong thing because you don't know what you're going to say, mm. which is I found far more scary, but far more successful. 
um, because you have to respond. You 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 want you have to look at people's eyes and you have to see where there's no other way of doing it. So that was the best thing. And actually, the um, some people in the year really liked um, those little memo cards and putting bullet points on those. I found yeah. that inhibitive because I kept using them as a safety blanket and fidgeting. Um, actually, best thing for me was I would always ask for a flip chart in the room. By the time I learned that what worked for me. Um, having a flip chart and a pen I would scrawl all over and be like okay these are the points I'm going to talk about and I'd write them down at the top and be like they'd be scrawled over and big in front of people so that Mm. if I felt lost I could just go oh yeah rather than having to (laughs) fiddle through or look down or so so do you know what I mean I found that very um, freeing liberating and messy as well I quite like the messiness of it it's not it's not I'm going to give you a perfect pitch it's I'm going to talk with passion I'm going to talk with um, you know it might not it might not sound absolutely coherent, but I'm already telling you that I'm not going to be doing that in a, in the way that I start. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's really nice, and I think that's transferable because mm. even because if, if you have no, I don't know, you're having a coffee or a meeting with someone, you can have a notebook and a pen, and you can, and then you can use that as your flip chart. I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I suppose it's yeah. Um, setting yourself up to try and get it right. If indeed there is such thing as right and wrong, but to try and get it right rather than to try and not get it wrong. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I think it's also about in a in a way and this is very true I think if you're going to be an artist and make theatre, if you passionately believe in and understand what you're talking about, there is no wrong, like there yeah. can't be because that's you. And as an artist, you have to bring you to it anyway. So if anyone tells you you're wrong and you're talking passionately about something, well, you're not because that's you and you have to bring you to whatever you're doing. Um yeah so that that's that's a big learning curve for me that learning that yeah yeah you're right it's pretty it's not that you're wrong it might just be that that's not the right fit that it's not necessarily that that person is the right collaborator or that venue is the right home for that work it doesn't mean you're wrong keep going keep persevering keep pitching Yeah. (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and the more that you just are a person is the other thing I like in a meeting no matter how big the person is opposite you and it's hard being that nervous uh, like you know is just just try and act like you're in the pub a bit because actually most people out there will enjoy it if you bring a relaxed atmosphere into the room yeah absolutely how was the experience of coming out of Birkbeck via that second year in the industry at home in Manchester? Um, I think it varies very, very differently depending on the student that comes out. And it's because uh, everyone, I mean, it was quite amazing. You come back at the end of the second year from all of your various different theatres and you've all been everywhere. No one's been, you probably haven't seen it. I saw two people from my year in the entire year. One who happened to be at Sheffield so happened to come over on a train for a press night. Um, and another one, I think, in Manchester, because she was at the Royal Exchange. Even though we were both in Manchester, we like, never saw each other. Um, so I think because of the vastly differing experience, and some people, people absolutely loved their theatres. Some people had really difficult experiences, not necessarily in a theatre over the whole course of their time, but potentially on a very long show with somebody they didn't get on with, um, or actors who, who something had happened in the car. You know, some people had very negative experiences, some people had very positive, and it all mixed in between. Um, so because of that, we all came back at the end of second year and felt like a little bit like strangers, but then also completely like best mates because we'd all <laughs> known each other and we'd all been through it. We just hadn't been through it together. Um, so what happens is you do these last few weeks and you do this huge dissertation 
and some people are moving on immediately to job offers um so i was one of them and i was one of the lucky ones so if you so my building offered me um a, a brilliant I, I was so excited because it was back at the young vic back in my home turf at a theater i'd always want it was almost like circular that's the way i got the seed to be a director and then i came out of birkbeck yeah. 10 years later and was able to do an amazing show with Catherine hunter who's the most extraordinary actor with walter who was a director who had run home so we we're all really close like we were really it was an amazing experience um so in a weird way, I left on top of the world because I left going, I've got my first well-paid theatre show <laughs> and I'm working with amazing artists in a theatre five minutes on a bike down the road from me, um, from my home. Like it was almost per it was almost too perfect. And actually that's what, I what happened to me. So a lot of other people ended up... Um, getting a job offer say from they've been in Sheffield and then they were asked to go back to do another assistant job in Sheffield um or some people didn't have anything and were going to go out into the freelance world or whatever but because I was going to I felt basically I couldn't it was the best best job ever um and because of that it was amazing but when it ended and I didn't get a job for six months that was the worst mm -hmm. period of time I've ever gone through as a director mental health wise because I was so oh my God, I've entered, I, this is it, I'm in, I'm back at the Young Vic, I've got this amazing job. And then nothing, and no hope of anything, and no prospects of anything. And it was probably, and I, and also I, I didn't, not because I hadn't nurtured it, but obviously all my fringe contacts, we'd all moved on. People had gone off to drama school, people had moved. So I couldn't suddenly go, let's do a show um, that easily. So yes, it that was a dark period. <laughs> so my advice about that is, and I do, I actually still go back to Birkbeck now and I teach a mental health class around being a director um, because of that experience and various other things. And um, my main thing about that is just keep an eye on, you may feel like you're at the top of the world. So you, I, I, have, the, I have this system where it's almost like a chart and you've got these four things. You as a director, you as, you as a person, um, you as your own agent and you as your life coach. And they're four different elements of you. Um, and each one of those needs nurturing. And so if you think all of them are doing unbelievably well and you're perfect because, you're, because at the time I wasn't thinking about anything else, you've got so far to fall. Whereas actually if I'd gone back and go, actually there's other things like my, my life coach could have been really warning me, my life coach side, about what was to come because I'd over sort of thrown myself into belief that it was going to be incredible so so yeah I think my biggest advice about that is you might be having the best job in the world but you are probably after that not going to work for a year and that keeping an eye on that mental health wise <laughs> is really important enjoy enjoy it and but don't lose track of what could happen later um so that how how did you then work through that period if you're happy to talk about that like to, to get through that period to the to the next stage it was really hard um it was really really hard in a weird way i was lucky because my husband's an actor and um at that time he'd happened to get a very good job so during that time at least financially we weren't in a hole I mean, I could sort of, I wallowed and, and I wasn't doing terribly well, but I did temp constantly. I just went back to working in offices, okay. which I didn't want to do, but I did to earn my own money. But in a weird way, I was lucky because he was doing well and I support him 
my mental health, I kind of put everything into supporting him with that. Uh, so in a way I had another person to believe in. Um, and then how did it happen? That was it, completely, again, by chance. I just kept applying for jobs, freelance jobs. And then it was through the Young Vit Network, um, you know, the Genesis Network that all directors can be a part of. Um, there was a job advertised by a company called Wildcard, who are now enormously successful with their show Electrolyte. Um, and uh, at the time they were doing a show or they, and they needed a director and they interviewed loads of people and I just happened to apply for it and I got it. And that then put me back on the, it's fine, work does come back. Um, so actually, because of that, it was six, six months, six months whole. But because I got the job at the other side, I went, ah, okay, well now I'm ready for another hole after. I now know how to handle the hole. Mm. I just kind of got through it. I just, in, in the sense that I just threw myself into earn enough money to live, try not to give up. I have sort of been here before, before Burt Beck, when I, didn't, when I thought I was going to give up then. So I've been there before and just, it is, it is, to be honest, I don't know how consciously... I fought it. I think it was much more, I'm really stubborn and I didn't, after all that money at, at Birkbeck and, and finally people believing in me, I didn't, I didn't want to let myself down or let them down. So I just kept going really. Yeah. I suppose Probably it's, um, I think it's amazing, isn't it? How similar our relationships to the top and the bottom are, because when you reach the top, you kind of, it's almost impossible not to get this Messiah complex and think, well, I've made it now. There's no, no cliff to fall off but then when you do inevitably in this line of work fall back to the bottom again for the first time you think oh that's it I have my one chance I've blown it so I suppose I think with everybody it's a case of as long as you can get through both of those the first time and allow the roller coasters to start to undulate up and down then you start to believe and understand that that undulation is actually a thing rather than this binary that it's one or the other and if you're there, you're there, and if you're there, you're there, and there's no journey. Yeah, I um. totally agree with that. And I think the, I think what uh, one thing I linked to that that I missed about how I got through it is, luckily I was a little bit older when this happened. I was probably 28. So I just, just was sort of getting, I knew myself a lot more. Mm. Um, and, in that, and because of that, and I really, really, this is another thing. I really wouldn't be afraid of spending time on yourself in terms of, you, there's no need to rush. You don't need to be Nick Heitner by the age of 24. Like, you know, like, if you don't know Absolutely. yourself, just, just give yourself the time to know yourself because actually that's kind of what saved me. I, my, my biggest thing was I need to not, and this, that, in that six month, this was my big mental health journey. I need to live for me and my life and not for work. And that's really hard in Britain because we are drummed in that you're successful if you make money and have a job. That's just drummed in. So, and in the arts, we, that's most 90% of the time you're not working in, in, your, in your actual career. So I think I suddenly, little things, I was like, I really love my cat. <laughs> like, I have this <laughs> wonderful cat. Um, I have a husband who's doing well. I can support him. Uh, and by support, I mean just be be not moody and crap around him <laughs> like i mean just just you know i don't need to bring my my stuff into i can support him by just being around and not being a negative um and going i'm lucky and just looking at my life and going i like where i live um i love my parents you know any any little thing a book you're reading where you're like this is a great book or a tv series it can be anything but you're actually going right now that's making me really happy 
and that's fine and I don't need some you know if some I don't need some judgment on the fact I'm working or not working to make me happy work should be the cherry on top rather than the whole cake well said well said I think think it's also that how me and Will talked about this several times in our discussions together that you do have to be kind to yourself and but also if you're if you do feel like you're beat you know that sense of beating yourself up because I'm not working I should be doing more actually as a director you know living your life is also fueling your work (laughs) so if you are reading a good book or watching a good film or a good tv series or just be having a positive relationship with your partner that's all fuel that will end up Mm -hmm. going into your work when you are back in a rehearsal room and I think that's worth remembering Mm. absolutely so I suppose by way of wrapping up, we've obviously touched on a lot of things which are all really advice in their own way, but are there any kind of bullet points, gobbits, nuggets, any words of that description um, of advice that you would kind of give as your top tips to people who sure, are, yeah. are thinking about doing what you did? So, um, yes, I do have a few top tips. Um, my big first one is don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick to anyone or to yourself. And I know that sounds so flippant, but it's so, there are so many people in this industry who are. (laughs) And you're you're going to come across them and you need to not take it personally, but you don't have to be like that. And I mean this, and I'm saying this, there are a lot of people who are very high up in this industry who behave appallingly and and, and are rude and are difficult. There's also loads who are dreamy, but... There are some that you're going to experience. Don't aspire to that. But don't be a dick. You can be a perfectly brilliant, successful artist without being nasty to anyone. Um, secondly is be true to yourself. Um, and that sounds a bit airy-fairy, but I mean, do the sort of theatre you want to do. For example, I had a realisation, because it's drummed in so much, that you should succeed, 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 and everyone should aim for the top job. For years I went, I want to run the National or I want to run the Donmar, right? Yes, I do want to be an artistic director, but what I've realised is I want to be an artistic director of a venue or a company that reflects the values that I have. And that is not necessarily the National Theatre. It may be Stratford East. It might be High Tide. I'm not sure yet. I'm still learning that. But there is, you do not need to aim for the big top rung of the ladder because everyone, you, you will be the best artistic director if you're true to what you are. Um, or director or artist that's relative Um, take time don't rush Uh, learn um, and be kind to yourself with that and don't be ashamed to talk about money and the money jobs (laughs) talk to people what do they do we had this amazing brainstorm with them some artists and they went right I'm 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 white van driving in my spare time I'm I'm picking up children at five o'clock in the afternoon and then I go and work in a bar or you know mental things but talk to people because actually you might suddenly go weirdly you might love driving well great your part-time job white (laughs) van man you might love it um you know if you're good with DIY go and offer your services at the local theatres um what do you call it the the workshop you never know they might have something and I think so yeah, don't be afraid to talk about the money job because it will always be there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, there's not too many universal truths in theatre, but I think you've hit the nail on the head that that is that is one of them. There's always going to be the need to do a job for money. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you so, so much for joining us, Kat. That's been that really fantastic. inspirational and enjoyable to chat to you. And thank you very, very much. Be lovely. Thank you so much. Well, I've got loads of notes to take away from that. And so I hope you do too. Will, have you got any little pointers, things that stood out for you from that chat? Yeah, I think for me, it was the idea, just the very simple idea that you've got time, you don't need to rush, you don't need to have, you know, made it by 24 or whatever arbitrary number the world makes you think you need to. You've got time. How about you? Yeah, I suppose following on from that, it's the sense of balance that um, I think Kat talked brilliantly about the fact that you're not just a director, you're a human being with a life as well, and that directing is part of your life, but also how you know, all the rest of life fuels, fuels your directing as well. So I think, um, yeah, you've got time and balance your life with your work. Well, anyway, as Kat said towards the start of that conversation, directing has probably the most roots into it of all jobs in theatre. Um, so with that in mind, as Marcus and I are both directors too, we're going to have a chat amongst ourselves and release that as a bonus podcast in the coming week. Um, so if you enjoyed listening to this chat about directing, do listen out for that. And of course, follow us on whichever platform you like to listen to your podcasts on. And if you've got any questions, do drop us a line on at CyphersUK on Twitter. If you use the hashtag CyphersCreate, we'll get back to you and maybe even include some of your questions in one of our podcasts. So until next time, it's goodbye from me. And TTFN from me. Bye.